And we're back with the Other Way podcast. I'm David, your co-host. And I'm Nicholas. And today we actually want to talk about what it's like to be um, an Asian entrepreneur and a digital nomad in the world. So this is a topic that I've kind of thought about in the last two years, just traveling abroad. And I just wanted to like have a space for us to talk about this, right? So there's a few points we want to touch on and, and I'll, I'll start first, right? So, you know, in, in the West, it, there's not a lot of, entre, you know, Asian entrepreneurs, right? So the vast majority of us, we are white collar professionals, lawyers, doctors, engineers, corporate types, uh, AKA me, like I'm one of them. And it's not to say that all you know, obviously like all Asian people are like that, but a lot of them are, right? And so I was taught by my parents to do the cookie cutter route, right? Go to school, go to college, uh, get a good job and that's it. And and I think right now, you know, I'm in my thirties and a lot of Asian people are actually having sort of a renaissance, right? They're saying, you know what? Like this is just not working out. I want to do something else. And so I'm actually having a lot of my friends that questioning, okay, like, do I want to continue this? And they're starting up like side hustles, uh, doing other activities, trying to figure out like what they want to do with their life. And I think they're at a point right now where maybe they're a little bit more financially secure. They're seeing other people take the leap into something else. And I think that's encouraging others as well. So I actually want to like you talk about that experience and you know see like for you Nick because you're obviously in Singapore and in Singapore like everyone's Asian right so I guess it's not so much of that thought process because I guess everyone does many different things right Mhm it's very interesting but when you say that there are not many Asians partaking in like entrepreneurship in the western country do you mean like in the past and right now they are starting to or are they still not doing it. I, I think there was always Asian entrepreneurs, right? I think a lot of the Asian immigrant stories that they come to America with very little and so they start restaurants. So I would I would definitely think of that as a form of entrepreneurship, right? Mm-hmm. I think beyond that, so the next generation, right? So, you know, I was born in America, my parents came over and so they were like in a way like entrepreneurs in their own right. I think I'm more talking about like you know, we're all, we're taught to sort of do the white collar professional routes. Don't become like small time entrepreneurs, like opening a restaurant like mm. us, like do something stable. And actually a lot of people our age are like, no, like I want to do, get into like entertainment or I want to do writing mm-hmm. or I want to be uh, a creative type. And you're, you're seeing that. And I think that gives me encouragement as well in terms of like, you know, like for me personally, like, what do I want to do? Do I want to be a corporate or do I want to work in a white collar professional job forever? So so I think that's where uh, I was having that thought process. Mm-hmm. I, I think I like to see that most of our Asian families upbringing, right? We are drawn to the whole idea of like safety nets. So our parents have this whole idea of what's the safest route to ensure livelihood in the long term, right? As, as an Asian. So at a point of time, I think at a point of what they know about like uh, safety nets is that if your son or daughter is like a lawyer, a doctor, a banker, more than likely these people would make it in life and they would have like a safe 
income, you know, to support their livelihood. But then I think another false perception of like safety nets is like, for example, saving tons of money in tin cans, right? We Asian <laughs> households, we like to save tons of money in tin cans, hide it under the, the mattress, you know, like put it in like drawers, locked away. And then years later, you know, five years later, you find out, oh, wow, I have like a tin can worth of like $300. But hello, that $300, the value has already been depreciated long ago, yeah. right? So, I mean, this, these are all like really, I would say, false representation of safety nets. And our parents want it for us just simply because that's what they know at a point of time, you know, like coming from a generation where they experience war, experience poverty. This is the time. This is the best form of love for us right but as we grow i think we get exposed to a lot more different things in our environment so that really shapes how we view what what we want to be in the future yeah so let me actually ask and this is a question that i actually don't know it's like sometimes we compare what it's like to live in asia as, as an asian person as an asian western such as myself and i wonder like does that mentality exist like in singapore for example do like all families tell their kids hey become professionals like don't kind of rock the boat, don't go into an entertainment or like being an artist. Is that similarity also true? Yes, in Singapore, yes, for okay. sure. I mean, like when I was younger, everyone's just saying like, oh, you know, when, when you grow up, you know, like for example, my mom used to tell me like, hey, if you can go into business or finance, that would be ideal because uh, that would be where the money is, right? And I mean, being a very rebel from young age, I didn't do that I instead I, I because I was really into like creating video games at the time and then like I was always um, kind of drawn to the next coolest thing right so after doing video games I went to like IT school doing programming oh. to kind of like wanting to build my own video games right then realizing like hey you know that industry is not for me I was drawn next to like design design school just because like designers look cool at the point of time so I didn't really have that foresight look at how much do I want to be making you know like what what do I want to work as? I just want to be like the, the next coolest person without the yeah. thinking of profession. So I was drawn to my passion rather than like, you know, Got livelihood, it. practicality. That, that is so interesting, right? Because I, you know, it's funny because like being in the East, I actually feel like you could become anything you want because when I go to Singapore, Malaysia, Bangkok, I see Asians occupying all sorts of roles and jobs. And to me, it's like, mm -hmm. wow, like the possibilities are endless. And I, so I thought that was kind of interesting what you said that like still the traditional kind of mentality still holds. But when I go to Singapore, I mean, I do see musicians, I see artists, I see people in politics, I see people owning restaurants, becoming like entrepreneurs, like either starting big companies or starting small companies. And so it, it almost seems like my perception was actually very different because again, growing up in America, you know, my dad, especially, he was like, you become a lawyer or you're homeless. There's no in between. And that's a very <laughs> damaging stereotype. Or, and this is why a lot of my friends who are Asian are rather unhappy with their jobs. And not all, obviously. Some people love sort of the corporate life and, you know, great. I, I totally support that. But, you know, I think we're overrepresented in, in, in corporate. It's because we're taught to go into these jobs where, in fact, we really don't like. So so I think that's where kind of the, I, I coined it like the Asian renaissance in America, where we're stepping away and, and, and doing different things. You know, we're, we're, we're feeling comfortable in our shoes, mm -hmm. as, as I kind of like to like think about it. I, I think we're kind of blessed, especially like uh, in Southeast Asia. During the time 2015, right? I'm not sure if you heard about Rocket Internet. So Rocket Internet is a venture capital. They actually put their foot into Asia trying to build 
multiple startups, online startups at the, at the point of time. So, and then they actually built things like some of the most famous apps these days, like Food Panda. Uh, Food Panda was a delivery app. Recently, I think it got bundled together with another delivery service in Germany and it's, it's awaiting IPO. Then uh, Lazada. Lazada, which is online shopping marketplace. Zalora as well, where I used to work, was a fashion online marketplace mirroring what ASOS used to do. So this they, they actually set foot in Asia, uh, making Asia more like the Silicon Valley of that mm. the whole startup scene. So because of that, we Asians who used to be very white-collar-minded, right, we got more exposed to what could be. So at the point of time when it, when it entered, you know, we started seeing more like 25-year-old CEOs. At the age of like maybe 25, 26, we are actually like executives running huge projects. We're like little kids running huge projects, you know, just because the, uh, these startups were here, just because these startups gave us, gave us the ability to actually um, navigate large projects mm. at our level so that really helped us grow like I, the, I, I see a lot of people who used to be a part of Rocket Internet's ventures one of those they become really great leaders and they become really good thought thinkers and mm. they are really strong in what they do you see because they understand running a business uh, you need to do this from step A to Z and the way we think the way we do stuff is all agile and that kind of just changed their own environment, right? So start, startup is no longer like a dream. Startup is happening right now here in Asia. Yeah. You know, we could gear ourselves towards that and that would be acceptable yeah. to our parents because they see that in the news, you see. Yeah. And and so in Singapore, right, is there, you're saying that there is actually a culture of like incubation, like tech incubation, like startup money, like there's that ecosystem, right, to help budding entrepreneurs, right? Yep. Especially in schools. So like uh, mm. in NUS, I know there's like a, I don't know if it's a VC, but I think it's an incubation facility where if you're an NUS student, they will offer you really, really low rates to have an office within the, the, yeah. the compound. And then they also have a lot of like grants and, and things yeah. for you to take advantage of. Yeah. yeah. I think you actually hit, you know, you brought up a good point that sometimes actually growing up, I actually never thought that this was even a possibility that I would, for example, like me doing a podcast with you, right? Mm -hmm. Being a digital nomad, like that never entered into like my imagination. But here, here we are, right? And I think, you know, sometimes when you're exposed to these ideas you really opens up your mind, right? I think had it not been for me being a nomad and coming to Asia and just seeing all these wonderful things that people are doing. And I think there there is something to be said when you see someone that looks like you doing these things, it, it does open up and you associate that to say that this is something that I can do. And 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 I think that's really, it is very refreshing, right? And, you know, when I think about, and I haven't been back home in two years and I'm actually about to come back home hopefully soon. So it might be a little bit of a reverse, reverse culture shock, but I want to make the comment that for the longest time, you never saw Asian people in like C-level roles, like CEO, CEO, like the tippy top of management. And we, they call it aptly the bamboo ceiling. And, and now you're seeing that change, right? You're seeing actually like, for example, Zoom, Right, they're sea level. They're actually, uh, I believe, they're mostly Asian. And again, I think that's very good. Like the diversification of uh, leadership roles in America. And you're seeing Andrew Yang, right? He's a politician. He's running for mayor of New York. And you're and you're seeing that. And and I think it's very very good. I think all that is to be said is that it opens up someone, right? Opens up the imagination for someone who now sees someone in that role who's maybe of the same age group or they see similarities, and and it basically tells them, mm. hey. 
you can do what I do. And I think I got that not from being in America. I got that from being in Asia. Weird. Okay, that's, that's, that's weird. I don't know when did Asians start becoming prominent in the sea, sea level. That's, that's, that's quite interesting because all along, I have always noticed like Asians in sea level, maybe because I'm in Singapore. So I, I've, yes. I've seen them in, in large yes. organizations. But I know that one thing for sure, young Asians in sea level started appearing more and more after the startup scene started to boom here yeah. in 2015. So there was a, the, the, the rise of like really, really young CEOs, the young CMOs, you know, just start, starting taking their positions. And yeah. they really, really bring it, you know, like at such a young age, you know, navigate pretty, pretty professionally, quite steadily. Yeah. And, and I also realized there was another rise of like Koreans. So Korean professionals hmm. picking up a lot of important positions at major companies. Yeah. These are really like Korean Americans, if I'm not wrong. Yeah. And also I think the diversification of the type of entrepreneurship, but right? I think, you know, I, I think the fact that, you know, the whole notion that Asians were not entrepreneurial, I think that's a misnomer because again, like, you know, my parents were entrepreneurs, right? They came to America and they started small businesses. That That is entrepreneurship. Mm -hmm. But I think you're seeing a, a diversification of it now, right? Where it's not the mom and pop stores. It's like founding like multi-million dollar, multi-billion dollar companies. And that's that's different. Mm -hmm. And and I'm so glad when I was in Singapore brief uh, back in 2020 to see right before the country locked down, just to see the ecosystem, to see really young, bright leaders, right, stepping up and trying to build trying to build businesses in, in, in Singapore, not only in Singapore, but in Southeast Asia. Mm. And even right now that, that I'm in, that I'm in uh, Indonesia, you're seeing that startup culture. Again, again, it's hard because it's hard to meet people now with, with what's going on with the pandemic, but um, you're, you're seeing it all over Asia as well. Like when I was in Bangkok, there's a big startup scene there. That's interesting though. I think for me personally, why I decided to go into entrepreneurship was largely because of seeing what people are doing on YouTube. So that largely from the Western culture, right? Why, why do you say that the Western culture doesn't have that entrepreneurship gene <laughs> available? I think inherently it is, right? But I think sometimes for the longest time is that the level of access, right? That I think a lot of, you know, of my generation of, and I, I'm a late millennial, right? That we just didn't think was the realm of possibility that because we didn't identify it, right? It's all about seeking sort of identification, right? When when entrepreneurs don't look like you, you feel that it's out of, naturally it's out of reach, right? Mm. And because I think again, and again, I believe it's changing, right? That it's overwhelmingly one gender, which is male and and for the longest time, it's overly white, right? And and again, like we're seeing now a renaissance of like, it's a diversification of what entrepreneurship looks like, the, what that kind of person looks like. And and it's really great. You're seeing, yeah, YouTube, TikTok personalities, YouTube personalities who are starting, you know, their own kind of YouTube channel. Like they are also different, right? They are different races and different genders. And I think that's also as well. So I think it's been always there, but I think it's becoming, it is more and more people are taking up that mantle, mm -hmm. people from different ages, people from different races. So I think, and I think it's definitely touched upon like uh, Asians as well. Like Asians have definitely hit that, have latched onto that notion of entrepreneurship much more so than ever before. For sure, for sure. Yeah, I, I would be really interested in seeing how things pan out in, a, in the next few years, like how this whole entrepreneurship, like state of entrepreneurship uh, becomes in the next few years. So personally, what I observe is like in the past, you know, entrepreneurship is all about like, how do you get that million dollar business up, right? So 
barriers of entry was really really high you have to have like your angel series a series b series c you know mm-hmm. like you had to have a, had a huge team you had to have like a uh, actual office right so years down the road when like more and more startup started to pop up in southeast asia we we see like the barriers of entry become slightly more eased up so you see maybe like companies doing like remote you know like smaller teams having uh co-working spaces as their offices so your outlay is, is starting to get lesser and lesser. And with things going digital these days, the opportunity is that you is you need to create like you, you can create digital services, right? But it removes the need to have like offices, for example. It very, very removes the need to have uh, a team that you see physically every day. You can even hire remotely. So I think yeah. where I believe this is going is it will become even smaller. So in the future, I I think every single person, you and I, can be a business on its own and a business entity on its own, mm. right? Which is also something interesting because I'm not sure if you're familiar with just slightly debating a, a, a bit. There's actually this cryptocurrency right now where you can actually brand your name on a coin. So, <laughs> yeah. So I think this is a very possible future, right? You know, like how social networks are a thing, like they yeah. network access this yeah. day. This platform actually allows you to put your name on a coin and uh, allow people to buy your coin. So if you are a social media celebrity or you are a business of your own, right? Your own, you manage your own branding, you, you do your own outreach, personal outreach, and your future valuation is can also be based on your assets at the same time be based on your social standing. Mm. So yeah, so people can invest in you and people can sell your coins at the same time. So it's, it's very interesting yeah. future. It's, 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 <laughs> sounds a little dystopic. It sounds like that episode of Black Mirror where you're like, exactly. it's your social capital. It could, it could rise and fall on a whim, right? And people can rate you and that def, that directly translates to your standing in society overall. I, I think, I, yeah, I, I think that, you know, what you're saying is, is very apt, right? That, I think it's never with, with technology, with like the web, with uh, microservices. It's been the easiest as ever to like start something small, right? Mm. You, to get your presence out there on the on the web, right? Because all you need is some kind of web pre- presence or you could, and it's free to start, right? Something small. So I definitely, you know, most of the entrepreneurship does involve, right? Uh, technology or something with the web or mobile. Mm-hmm. The name of this crypto social network is called BitCloud. Yeah, so, oh, so you, can, you can check it out, BitCloud. What other ways do you think like uh, entrepreneurship can develop into based on what you've seen so far? So this is into my next point about like being a digital man. I feel like the future of work in general, like as teams become more distributed, right? As this push for like work from home culture or working remotely, working independently, like I'm hoping that in the future, like borders can be how do I say this? Like your citizenship, one citizenship, and this is what I see the future as, like your citizenship should not necessarily preclude you or or stop you necessarily from working for other international companies, right? So sometimes we're so, so, so like, you know, as an American, like I can work for an American company, but if I want to work in Europe, it's going to be much harder because I would need to get the visa, the working visa to work there. I would love to see in the future, right, that as similar countries have agreements to have knowledge sharing or can or you could have access to work in certain countries uh, for for in you can work in certain countries for certain companies based in other countries like I would like to see that and not only that but also having movement uh, freedom of movement to work from different countries right and I think you're seeing that we're, we're beginning to like 
see that you know in the next decade hopefully right you're beginning to see that and you're seeing that already like me as a as a as kind of you know working working independently but i think we still got a long way to go with petitioning governments to sort of understand what these workers are and to provide them with like more of like i think legal security right because right now there's still a lot of gray area like what can we do what can we not do what is the spirit of the law like what these like uh labor laws right now so that's something that i would definitely like to see happen um you know especially in singapore and also like asean countries that there's still like there are like these country blocks but still there's a lot of barriers right to going back and forth between different countries and working so i would like to see that change in fact, I think after this pandemic happened, right, I do see more and more openings coming up that are remote. So back to the fact that you say that things are starting to be in a sense where you don't have to be in a certain country in order to access a certain job role, right? I think this is this is starting to gain traction. I, I know this used to be, this, this type of rules used to exist in like all the SaaS platforms. So I think HubSpot has remote roles. There's, there's a few others like Zipri also has remote roles. So I think this is where it's going. As we wrap our minds around this concept, I think more and more com- companies will be able to embrace it and actually set up the necessary operations. And in, all in all, it really saves costs, you see. like It saves the cost of having to have that person physically there. And it also increases the talent pool, right? By so much. Yeah. Asia has a very strong talent pool. You have governments that are receptive to like investment, right? You have, uh, for the most part, like a good enough political stability. The talent exists, and I think it's only going to get more competitive, and I think it's only going to uh, grow, right, in in the next decade. Mm-hmm. What What do you think about like like multi careers in your lifetime? Are you a supporter of that? Yeah, I I, I think I am. And I think, you know, this, this harkening back to the point of like the Asian experience being here as an Asian person is that I don't think I'm marred to like being in tech forever or like being a coder forever. Like you see people like doing many interesting things in Asia, right? And I think a lot of the opportunities here is like, is like getting to meet people, networking. And from there, if you want to try something else, I think I feel much more empowered by doing it here. Um, because again, you see people who are successful who look like you, and that gives you the encouragement to do the same, right? So it's, it is almost as like you are people here setting the example, and then you're following it. So, so I, I really think that, and like I've had a career change as well, right? Like I, I, I changed roles, right? I was in operations for five years at a big tech company, and I, I keep saying that, but yeah, I changed and I became a programmer, and I've been doing this for five years. Does this mean I'm going to be a coder forever? Maybe, maybe not, but I think. I, I have, the, yeah, the privilege and the, and the time to sort of think about that. And I think that's really great. Again, by, by living here and by traveling around and by meeting people, it, it um, opens up possibilities. Mm. So yes, I am a big proponent of that. And I think it's, it's uniquely a very American thing as well, right? You're not, gone, or the, gone are the days where you're supposed to work 40 hours, oh, sorry, 40 years in a company. <laughs> right. Yeah. I think similar for me, like I'm, I'm also someone who uh, gets bored of things very easily. In fact, I outgrow my roles every two years. So that's why, that's why sometimes I see myself shifting, right? Not because, uh, and I think largely because I feel really bored with like what I'm doing. Therefore, I need like a change of environment as at the same time, I need a change of like roles, right? Because uh, some, some roles get pretty mundane after, after a certain 
year, number of years doing the same yeah. thing over and over yeah. again. And then growth for me just looks like, uh, okay, I, I need to try something of a different nature, maybe in the same industry, but of a different nature. So if, if I was doing like e-commerce for two years, maybe this yeah. uh, the next two years will be more like business development centric, you know, or maybe more partnerships where I get yeah. to talk to more people. For example, like this podcast in it, in it on its own is to help me better train my my speaking abilities so mm -hmm. as long as i'm growing i feel alive right and and when you feel alive i think it shows in your quality of work because i think there's more passion and there's more exactly. drive yeah you unlock the yeah. state of flow where yeah. you know you facing something you're navigating a, a moderately difficult task at the same time you know you are growing therefore there's this level of joy that keeps you moving on and on right and that's how you improve yep. yeah i i'm all for like road like rotating you know <laughs> job functions rotating locations right like as as work becomes more remote right location becomes optional right yep. and decide to work in an office and also rotating different companies right in different industries as well like you could work in entertainment and then you could work in like finance and it or so i think it is ripe with like exploration right and i just want to actually make one point that in Asia right now that they are proposing these digital nomad visas, right? So right now it's being proposed in Thailand, it's being proposed in Indonesia, you have, and also these like e-smart visas, I think there's one in Singapore, right? If you're mm -hmm. a budding entrepreneur, you could actually get a visa to work in Singapore. And I actually knew someone in Germany who did that and is living in Singapore under that, that like, it's like a entrepreneurship visa. So, so there are, the governments are noticing this trend and they're encouraging people to like come to Southeast Asia and it is wonderful. Mm -hmm. It is wonderful that they're doing this. And so I only see the competition for talent will only increase, right? And even Taiwan has this, which I'm applying for, this Taiwan gold card. So so yeah, I, I want to sort of close out on this episode. We talked about like a few different things, right? And you know, I think this episode was much more of a kind of open flow session. And it was like more of like kind of a free thinking session, which I actually really like. I think we're just trying out a new format this time. But yeah, was there anything else you want to say, Nick, before we close out? I think the whole environment is just starting to pan out right now. Just quite excited to see what's coming next, you see. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, we're waiting, right? Once things uh, go back to normal soon, hopefully soon, that we'll, we'll see, you know, you know, we'll see people get together again and we'll see great ideas come from that. So that's what I want to close on. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So thank you so much for listening. And if you enjoyed this podcast, please make sure to hop onto Apple iTunes to give us a five-star review because again, that will help us reach out to more listeners such as yourself. Yep. And also uh, thank you for tuning in. And as, as always, here's a follow if you're on Spotify as well. So you get future updates when we post the next episode. Great. Mm. Thank you thank very much. You. And talk to you next time. Bye. See you. Bye-bye.